0: buddies, fellow Franco fans. It is I, your host, Jason Rudy, from Desperate Visions Productions, a Sacramento, California based filmmaking group headed by yours truly. And as of this recording, we have Lady Hyde up on the streaming channels and in the process of adding Emmanuel and Sin City. It's uh, been sent and now it's in the pending stages as I record this, so waiting to see when it's picked up. And from there, Hopefully Tubi and other stations will pick it up as well. And you'll have two Jason Rudy films on Tubi, which is pretty exciting for me. So yeah, it's always good to have accomplishments and to uh, follow your dreams and make your films and do something in this world before your time is over. Because as we all know, life is a gift. That's why it's called the present. And uh, we live in the present because it's a gift. So if you don't enjoy your gift the present goes away then it's the past and all who die live in the past speaking of those who die you go to Bangkok and get a coffin so that brings us to this film it's a really bad segue. uh film 133 I'm sorry episode 133 film 139 veja a Bangkok atuad incluido Spanish theatrical title Trip to Bangkok, Coffin Included. And this is a Spain 1984 production. The Alternative Titles, Via, at Bangkok. Production Company is, of course, Manicoa Films, that's Jess's company. And uh, Zafrio Films Productions, Theatrical Distributor, Geraldo Films, and Orion Films International, according to the poster. Of course, we're in the 1984 period, so this is a shooting date. July eighty four, uh, deposit legal number, January twenty fifth of eighty five, and a played Madrid April thirtieth nineteen eighty seven. The theatrical running time is ninety two minutes, and the video running time converted uh, the PAL VHS Spanish one is eighty seven minutes fifty seconds. Writer director of course is Jess Franco, based on a novel by Edgar Wallace. Assistant Director, Lina Romay, as Rosa Melamarel. Ma- director of Photography, Juan solar Cozar That's good. Camera Assistant, Angel Ordales, and Enrique Diaz. That's cool, Angel Ordales. He's acts quite a bit, too, so it's good to see him behind the camera. Uh, Production Manager, Antonio Mayans. Makeup, Juan Adila Moreno. Of course, his spouse. Dubbing Director, Victor Agramat, Music, Denise Ferron- Fernand. Music producer, Harmon. Music recording, Syntonia. Um, Accredited co-producer, Jess Franco. First camera operator, Jess Franco. Editor, Jess Franco. So, of course, doing the list, we got the Jess Franco on this. This is the writer, the director, the co-producer, first camera operator, and editor. Sounds about right. And big cast on this one. Uh, cast compared to the last one of course the mighty Howard Vernon comes back to the fold as Colonel Daniel J. Blimp Helen Garrett plays Marion Wentworth Jose Lamas plays Agent Philip Sanders Trino Treves plays Professor Tao Ana Espejo plays Rita Tao's daughter a.k.a. Madam Rita a stripper Christian Bork plays Jonathan Keats. Rafael Cores plays Peter Welbeck. That's funny. Sanders Boss. Juan Solar Cozar plays Byron Longwood, aka Charles Dickens, the UK consul in Bangkok. Jose Miguel Garcia Marfa, as Jose Miguel Garcia, plays Nude Amok in Tao's Sanctum. Oscar San Juan. Nothing okay, it's funny. Um, uncredited Angel Ordales plays Mr. Caramea Jeweler. Juana de la Moreno plays Dr. Zoe Carlson. Carlos Aguiar plays the bellboy at Blimp's Hotel. Jess Franco plays the Bangkok Hotel receptionist. Antonio Mayans plays the President of the United Nations. And Julia Tarrant in, in- Re- Eugenia Farrosh plays airline receptionist. All right. Review by Stephen Thrower. Of course, all information taken from the book Flowers of Perversion, Delirious Cinema, Jess Franco, Volume 2 by Stephen Thrower. Still in print on Amazon. Uh, Review. Although it lacks the dynamic action sequences that would normally accompany this espionage story, Trip to Bangkok, Coffin Included, is a witty and likable tale that breezes along on the strength of its delightful, central performance And some amusingly salty dialogue. The epitome of a Sunday afternoon film, this sort of thing might the sort of thing one might enjoy watching on TV after a large lunch. It's as brisk and effervescent as a white wine spritzer (laughs) some of his (laughs) writing is interesting. Uh, the polar opposite of something like Franco's then recent crime tale La Chicas de la Labios Rojos, which felt like the celluloid equivalent of a hangover. That's not to say Viva in Bangkok is exactly throbbing with excitement. Rather typically for Franco, it lacks the tension that would justify calling it a thriller. What it does have is a lightness of touch and a corresponding mood of confidence. The film is like a good mood caught on film. Leading man Howard Vernon is clearly having a ball, giving a spirited performance. It's a crusty old secret agent called Colonel Blimp, who finds himself walking alongside young gun Philip Sanders. The latter role, meanwhile, is played with brio and panache by Franco-Regular Jose Lamas, who has never looked more handsome. Philip Saunders, but you can call me Phil, says the younger man when they first meet. I'm Colonel Daniel J. Blimp, but you can call me Colonel Blimp, snaps the other. Blimp is portrayed initially as a catankerous old misanthrope with an underlying slyness. W.C. Fields crossed with Columbo. When Sanders tries to bond by showing Blimp a photograph of his family, he waves it aside with disdain. Can't stand children, not even in photos. Sanders, however, is no fool. He sees through the older man's defenses and treats his cutting remarks lightly, after which the two of them get along just fine. By the end of the film, they have a camaraderie based on mutual respect. This makes it a rare beast in the Franco canon, a story in which male friendship, as seen as positive and valuable, That's very true. That's a very rare thing in Franco films. Snappy dialogue is not usually Franco's forte, but Viva la Bencock draws much comic banter from the wellspring of Blimp's national character. I'm Irish like all talented Brits. Bernard Schatz, Joyce Priestley, he says to a young barman in Singapore. Two out of the three for accuracy. Jess, J.B. Priestley was a Yorkshireman. When Sanders says, I'm from Wales, blimps marks. finally, we have something in common. We can speak badly of the English. And if Sanders is Welsh, he's keeping his accent very well hidden, but not to mention his nomenclative roots. But let's not quibble over details. After all, he's probably lying. What really matters is the playful tone in which Franco adaptively maintains without sliding into the silliness that affected how much for a spy a few months earlier. There's enough sparkle here to suggest that Frank was really enjoying himself while writing the script, and this enlivens the whole affair, making it one of the most quotable films in his career. The film is aptly decorated with situation comedy, too. For instance, Blimp frequently gets the edge on people by concealing a tiny tape recorder in his ever-present package of pipe tobacco, which he absentmindedly leaves behind, knowing that others will talk about him after he's gone. It's actually an old trick that uh, Jerry Lewis used to do. He used to have a uh, briefcase that he'd have a tape recorder in, and after a meeting, he'd leave his briefcase and walk out, and then a few minutes later, come back in and get his briefcase, and then hear what people would say. Um, It says here, A minute later, he returns to retrieve the tobacco while joking about his terrible memory. Everyone falls for this routine because he's an old man, and since he's constantly filling his pipe with tobacco, the packet becomes invisible. Vernon plays these scenes perfectly, letting us see his secret delight at foxing those who underestimate him. Then, in a lovely comedic touch, after sending a secret radio message, Blimp really does forget his tobacco before acknowledging the slip with a wry shake of his head. Jose Lamas gets some decent material as well, whether cheekily posing as a sinner in need of salvation, jumping a line by lifting a man bodily out of the way, chair and all, or listening, or ejecting out of a phone cubicle a man arguing with his wife, then picking up the reliever, receiver, and saying he left with a blonde. Um, gratifyingly eccentric in his later stages, Viva e. Bangkok presents us with an intriguing metaphysical twist. The film's supervillain, Master Tao, is a reclusive religious guru, and in the normal spy movie run of things, we would expect that he's been cynically conning his followers. In fact, it's more interesting than that. Master Tao has genuine psychic powers. He's able to read minds and expose the precise nature of a person's thoughts. His motivation for the killings is fascinating. Instead of seeking to rule the world or amass personal wealth, he's acting to save the planet. As a boy, he had a vision of the world being destroyed by atomic wars, disasters created by selfish, the ridiculous ambition of man. Nature will die. Trees will turn to stone and sea to quagmire. His plan to murder prominent world leaders, is designed to prevent this cataclysm. Interestingly, Sal's premonition of global catastrophe is itself prefigured by an earlier monologue from Blimp, which has all the hallmarks of a directorial statement. Uh, Western tourism, especially in warm countries, has turned cities into places without personality. They're all the same. Sometimes you see remnants of old and pure civilization, But soon the damn skyscrapers stick out, devouring everything in the name of progress. Here, here. Franco underscores the irony of Blimp, saying this by having Sanders tartly observe that this is precisely what Englishmen did to their colonies, to which Blimp replies, You're not offending me at all. I'm Irish, and I share your view. (laughs) But the point remains. If Blimp, a service of the British Empire, can see this, how much more urgent is the perspective of Tao, a genuine visionary? Nothing that we see or hear contradicts Tao's assertions or his motives. We are left to assume he's telling the truth, or at least believes what he is saying, which makes the ending in which Saunders and Blimp saved the President of the United Nations, ambiguous to say the least. Have the heroes prevented a lunatic from assassinating random politicians, or have they just consigned the whole planet to nuclear annihilation? We are left to wonder, and perhaps even to hope that Tao will start afresh, I will be gone for some time, but don't worry, we'll see each other again, he writes, channeling Fu Manchu in a party note to Blimp, maybe earlier than you think. Nice. On the downside, unsurprisingly, giving Franco's typically hasty methods, there are several loose threads to this yarn. The cheery Singaporean taxi driver who latches onto Blimp is featured prominently, but as comic relief, he's poorly written, and in narrative terms, his inclusion is never really justified. Freiko's slapdash approach to the character is typified by the fact that we never even learn his name. Then there's the fact that several scenes which ought to have been shown on screen are merely alluded to in the dialogue, such as Peter Wilbeck's murder and the abduction of Marion by Tao's followers. The disciples, played by Juan Solar and Anna Espeo, appear to be operating independently of Tao, and their inclusion as a subplot later in the day suggests that they are going to do something significant. Instead, their storyline peters out and we are left none the wiser. Tao's fascinating story about his childhood fall into a cave, thus awakening his precognitive abilities, is crying out for evocative flashback. Instead, this simply is, the story is simply murmured by actor Trino Traves who must not only tell it lying down, but also with a cloth over his eyes. The dramatic possibilities are rather thrown away. Tao is supposedly to be a mesmerizing presence, rather like in Franco's delirious film, The Erotic Rites of Frankenstein. So it seems the height of perversity to deprive him of his eyes, the organs by which mesmerism is usually achieved. Even though blindness is apparently a prerequisite of the visionary state Sal describes, much could be have made of the actor's staring orbs, conveniently sightless but uncannily blessed with visions of the future. Thus, I think, is the main deficiency of Franco's haste as a director. His rapid production rate means that glaringly obvious dramatic or cinematic potential is squandered. Dramatic scenarios fly past without being fully exploited and narratively satisfying outcomes are overlooked. These defiances are not the lack of imagination. If Franco had cared to sweat the script a little longer, he was more than sharp enough to have spotted these potential sources of power and corrected his errors and non-sequiturs good point. Another pervasive problem, which one had dogged Franco all the way back to his crime thrillers of the early 1960s, is a distinct lack of urgency in the pacing. For instance, in a long exchange, we see Sanders being briefed by Walbeck, played by a grizzled Pielo-Western version Rafael Correz. We cut to Blimp's investigation in Singapore, then return to Sanders and Walbeck, this time an extended long shot for the pouring of a cup of tea and yet more yakking. Briefing an operative is hardly the sort of thing that needs to be dragged out so much. The two scenes really should have been compressed into one. This is typical of the film overall. What's needed is a cut-to-the-chase approach, but there is no chase to cut to. There simply isn't enough money to tell the action-adventure story, so the payoff is all in the dialogue. Fortunately, if you can accept an adventure film without action scenes or car chases, Viva Bangkok, Coffin Included, is well worth the look. In fact, I'd go as far to say it's one of the more sheerly enjoyable romps of Franco's later career. Cool. Yeah, I have yet to watch this, so I'm looking forward to checking it out. Franco on screen. Uh, Franco takes a minor role as a hotel manager who tips off Sanders about the mysterious Charles Dickens. Cast and crew. The unnamed, unnamed, though heavily featured actor playing the Singapore cab driver also played Kumo in El Buco del Dragon Dorado. uh, according to Antonio Mayans, he ran a martial arts club in Benidorm, probably the same one seen in the film La Esquelivia Blanca, White Slave. Uh, music. The music, though, Anarchis Antarcticus, is pleasingly vigorous with some various 1960s horn arrangements, apparently drawn from the extensive film library catalog of Denis Farnon a Canadian composer, perhaps best known for scoring the Mr. Magoo cartoons. Yes! I love Mr. Magoo. Uh, Locations. Oh! Uh, Locations. Erstat's Orientalism seems to be Franco's default position when he reaches for the exotic. See the blood of Fu Manchu, the castle of Fu Manchu, El Busco del Dragon Dorado, La Sombra del... Tutoko Contra Dr. Wong, uh, sundry sitar-drenched titles from the Erwin Dietrich period and the later Esclavas de Crimon. For more of the time, for much of the time in this film, he relies on a succession of Spanish karate clubs and Chinese restaurant interiors, although some location material was obtained by Wad Solar in Thailand. For most of the time, Las Palmas stands in for Bangkok, while the production once again makes use of the Hotel Santa Catalina, as seen in numerous Canary Island locations shoots since Opala de Fuego. The attack on the U.N. president takes place at a shopping center arcade in Benidorm, previously last seen in La Blues de Cala Pop, which I like that film. Uh, connection. The story is a partial reworking of Franco's attack of the robots, with its brainwashed assassins, Caucasians with darkened skin, controlled long-distance by an evil mastermind. On-screen credits, a liege that the story is based on characters created by Edgar Wallace, but apart from the use of the English name Sanders, totally out of context with Wallace's Sanders of the River, I'm unable to see a genuine connection. Among the character names decorating the script is Colonel Blimp, referencing, of course, Michael Powell's 1943 film the life and death of Colonel Blimp. Blimp's full name is Daniel J. Blimp, an in-joke reference to Franco's favorite composer and personal friend, Daniel J. White, upon whose old-world demeanor and frequent pipe-smoking, Vernon would seem to have based his performance. There you go, I was asking about Daniel J. White, and there's my answer. In another in-joke, the Secret Service bigwig who sends Sanders into the fray is called Peter Welbeck, the pen name of Franco's old friend and producer in the late 1960s, Harry Allen Towers. That's my other note I checked. That's funny. Uh, Blimp's codename for sending reports via radio is Victor Massey. In reality, the 19th century French opera composer, best known for Gathathé and La Noches de Jeannette, 1853. Wow. Juan Solar plays Byron Longwood, a.k.a. Charles Dickens, who, as you may know, wrote a few books. Uh, Keats explains to Blimp that the jeweler's shop is not the permanent headquarters for his organization. Instead, he likes to keep changing it. Here today, a printing house. Tomorrow, a sex shop. The next day. This recalls the deliberately absurd strategy employed by Mother, in the 1968-69 series of the British TV series The Avengers, in which Franco had already referenced several times in his Red Lips films of the 1960s. I didn't know that. Cool. Uh, Carlos Aguiar, author of Just Franco, El Sexo de Horo, plays the receptionist as, at Blimp's Rundown Bangkok Hotel. One hesitates to cite the villain's name, Tao, T-A-O, as a connection. In Chinese, the word means Path. Or way, and oh, that's interesting. And in English, where are we at here? Uh, and in English, and, and in Eastern philosophy, it signifies primordial essence or the fundamental nature of the universe. Franco uses it as a signifier of Oriental mysticism with all the subtlety of a Miss Piggy karate chop. One looks forward to the corresponding Chinese film featuring an Israeli villain called Professor Holy Ghost. <laughs> Tao speaks of steering the minds of his slaves with his magnetism, recalling the magnetic rays of Caligistro and the erotic rites of Frankenstein. Blimp is gassed unconscious in the back of a limousine by means of a house pipe, hose pipe operated by the driver, a callback to the vengeance of Dr. Mabuse. The banter between Sanders and Blimp in a is a <clears> the <throat> banter between Sanders and Blimp is a window into Franco's own character, as I discovered when I met him. Franco loves to crack jokes at the expense of one's nationality. That's according to Stephen Thrower. So Alright, that's kind of a wordy uh essay there on that film, so Alright, got that out of the way. <laughs> So, um, all right, let me go ahead and hit some plugs in here before we go to the break. Um, of course, if you dig the podcast, and if you dig me or what I'm doing with this, the weekly free show, it's been going on for years now, please feel free to donate, either one time or reoccurring. I would very much appreciate it. Uh, if you like the show, please subscribe. We're on all your favorite podcast platforms, the Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon, Google Podcast, Radio Public, and more. Um, you can also download the episodes. They're free to download. Take them where you want. Uh, also, if you dig the show, if you dig Desperate Visions Productions, Lady Hyde, all that stuff, please feel free to tell people. The worst thing you can do is keep it to yourself. I have a very limited budget, so please help me by advertising and telling people about it. Spread the word at the Franco Observer Podcast. It costs you nothing to tell people. So, if you want to do it, please, please, please. Uh, If you want to get a hold of me, you can at FrancoObserver at yahoo.com. That's FrancoObserver at yahoo.com. We also have Instagram pages and Facebook pages for the Franco Observer podcast. So check us out on Facebook or Instagram and add us today. And of course, our mission statement is praise and in memory of just Franco bringing the names and films of Just Franco to do eyes and ears and into your brain. Because Franco is a bug that gets into your brain and builds away. Look at me. I'm already doing uh, 134, 134 episodes, 133 episodes so far. That's countless. That's probably at least 200 plus hours that I've spoke about Just Franco. So, yeah, that's why my voice sounds a little bit tired today. It's getting there, so. All right, well, hang out past the break and listen to the review of Trip to Bangkok, Coffin Included. Not sure if this is going to be a solo review by me, Jason Rudy from Desperate Visions Productions, or it will be a dual review joined by a guest. I'm not sure at this time. Recording this ahead of time, so we'll see where the fates take us. So, All right, well. All you be good, hang out past the break, and you'll hear me talk about this film. Adios, amigo. Ma.
1: you <laughs>